Well, welcome and good morning again. So glad that you are here. Uh, It is an exciting day. So, question for you. Have you ever been caught doing something you shouldn't have been doing? Or maybe caught in, as we would say in the church, sin. Maybe you exploded on somebody and didn't realize there was somebody else in the room watching as you lost your temper. Maybe you didn't close down your computer and somebody saw your browser history. Maybe your pride or arrogance at work got in the way and you went to battle with a coworker or a neighbor about something that you believed was right, but in the end you found out maybe wasn't as important as you thought it was. Now that I have your attention, confession is one of those things that can be hard, can be trying can push us into places of uncomfortableness, but at the same time can be incredibly rewarding and incredibly rich when done and received well. And so this morning we're going to talk a little bit about that, but before we go on, I want to talk to you about a volunteer I had in ministry once. His name was Keith. Keith was a good friend. Uh, we would, Keith was very involved in our middle school ministry. He and I had a relationship. We would go out and get meals together pretty frequently. And all of a sudden I realized I hadn't seen Keith at church in a couple weeks. So I called him. No call back. Thought, okay, not a big deal. He's, he's a busy guy. He owns his own business. He's probably too busy. I'll give him a little bit. A couple weeks went by. No response. So I called Keith again. No response. So a couple weeks later, I saw his wife at church, and I was like, hey, I haven't heard from or seen Keith in, like, weeks. Is he doing okay? And she was like, no. She's like, you should be praying for Keith. I was like, oh, okay. So she said, keep reaching out. I don't know if he'll ever get back to you. Keith never got back to me. I got a call from Keith's wife. Keith was a recovering alcoholic. I didn't know that but he'd gone back to drinking again. And I got a call from his wife the night that he was in his car with his kids on his second bottle of vodka for the day. And myself and a couple other guys went to Keith's house. And Keith ended up in rehab, but he didn't want to be there. He went because there were three guys who were saying, this is where you're going. Keith's wife was a model of grace and the gospel for him. Keith ended up quitting work, closing down his business, having an affair. And in July 2020, I did Keith's funeral. Keith's wife sat by his side in hospice, refusing to give up on him. You see, we think about confession and we go, oh, you go first, right? Somebody said that to me. If we're going to confess, you go first. Confession is scary in some ways, but it is so important to our faith and our life and our walk. And it's going to have a bigger impact than you can ever imagine. 
And so as we dive into this psalm in the fourth week of psalms this week, I, I hope that you see that. Now, for some of you, you're like, okay, you said we were going to talk about psalms, and I thought this was a songbook, and it was going to be a happy sermon series. <laughs> this has not been a happy sermon series. It's almost over, so this is the last week. You don't have to worry about psalms for a little while longer. I get it. But what I hope you have experienced as we have dove into these psalms is a richness that the gospel calls us to. There's a way that we can walk through life and just pretend like everything's okay. And I think sometimes we like that, right? Because life goes real flat that way. And we're just like, we just carry on. But when we start to look under the surface, it gets a little bit more like this. So for those of you who are here for the first week and you're like, wow, if it's been that much fun, I'm glad this is my first time here. Let me walk you back through where we've been. We started off and life was pretty good. Psalms of praise, right? Everything that God has done, we're thankful for. We praise him for who he is. And as we've walked through the Psalms, we've realized that the psalmist is always looking a couple of different directions. In the Psalms of praise, the psalmist is standing on a mountaintop. Everything is great in life. He is looking backwards at all the ways that God has blessed, provided for, guided him, been good to him. And he's looking forward in hopes that that will continue right? We love to talk about the mountaintop, right? We love to be on the mountaintop when we get to experience that. It's fantastic. But quickly we went in week two to the imprecatory Psalms down here in the pit, right? That's what we've lovingly referred to the valley. It's just the pit. It's easier. And this is when we're angry. When we're angry at what's happened that's unjust, when we're angry at the injustice in the world, when we cry out to God in that anger, and so the psalmist in the imprecatory psalms is looking around or down at the things that are going on around and he is crying out to God to be just, to show up. He even cries to curse the people who have offended him, right? And some of us are like, I can pray that? You can, doesn't mean God's going to answer you, but you can pray it. And that's where we were in that first week of in the pit. We're angry, we're frustrated, there's injustice all around and then last week, we're in the pit again, and we're looking down at the situations around us. Maybe our dreams have been crushed. The things we thought were going to work out haven't. We feel alone, feel like the whole world has turned on us, and we're lamenting, we're sad, and we're grieving the loss of that. But the psalmist, even in that, looks up to God and says, God, I need you to show up and be who you said you were going to be. I need you to show up and do what you promised to do. I need to know that you're there, that you're with me, that you, I'm holding out hope, God, that you're going to be the faithful, loving God you promised to be. And so today we hit the Psalms of Confession, which are actually a subset of Psalms of Lament. If you want to be really smart in Bible trivia, you can tell your friends that. And the psalmist here is looking inside himself at all the stuff that's going on in his own heart in his relationship with God, the stuff that's under the surface that maybe nobody else gets to see. And the psalmist in this point, as we'll see today, is looking up at God and crying out for his mercy, for grace. He's crying out that God would be unfailing in love like he's always been. So I know it hasn't been the most fun series, but sometimes that's when God really does some work. And one of the things we would love to begin to celebrate is what's God doing in your lives? 
This is not about us, but it's about what's God doing in your life. And so as you think about that, if you think about, man, the Psalms of praise hit me here because I realized I had this thing, but God, I wasn't giving God credit for it. Or if you're in a place of lament, we would love to celebrate with you. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to give you a microphone and ask you to come up here. But if you can scan the QR code on the back of your chair today, you can scan it today so you have it. Do it when you get home. Do it this week. We would love to hear how the Psalms have impacted your relationship with Jesus. We would love to be celebrating with you the good things that God is doing as a result of this study in the Psalms. And we'd love to pray for you about the hard things you're going through as you read the Psalms and wrestle with that. So if that's something you're comfortable with, it'll just be shared amongst the executive team. We would love to hear those things from you. Now, as we dive into Psalm 51 today, we know a few things about Psalm 51 that we haven't known about all of the Psalms that we've looked at in this series. First, we know who the author is. It's David. And David is writing this psalm. We also know the occasion that David wrote this psalm on. And it's probably one of the lowest points in David's life. David is king of the Israelites in the Old Testament. If you know his story, he becomes king after Saul. Everything's great. And then it happens. There's this subtle verse that says, at the time when kings go off to war, David stayed home. And we read that verse and we're like, oh, that's not a big deal. It is the beginning of a huge deal for David. It leads him into an affair with Bathsheba. Bathsheba ends up pregnant. And in order to cover that up, David brings her husband home. He doesn't go in because he's a man of honor. He wants to be with his soldiers. And so David ends up, when he goes back to war, moving him to the front line and having him murdered. And it's in that situation that God sends the prophet Nathan David is, everything's great. David hasn't let anybody see anything that's going on. He's just going about life. And Nathan comes and he tells David this story. And David's like, oh my gosh, that's a horrible story. Find that person who did that and they deserve to die. And Nathan the prophet looks at the king and says, it's you. And David's reply is this in 2 Samuel 12, 13. I have sinned against the Lord, Nathan replied. Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. David mourns bitterly. If you know the story, he sits in mourning for a long time. And most scholars believe it's in that place of mourning that David wrote Psalm 51. So we're going to read the whole thing. It's a little longer than what we normally read, but just bear with me and imagine yourself as David as you hear these words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. There are parts of this psalm that I'm sure sound familiar to you. It has such rich language and imagery. And if I'm honest, we probably don't have time to do it justice verse by verse in one sermon. You could preach a series on this psalm. So today we're going to go over it, but there might be things that you have questions about, things you want to talk about. I would encourage you, do that in your life group. But in our time today, I want us to unpack this statement. Confession builds intimacy and joy in our relationship with God. Confession builds intimacy and joy in our relationship with God. David, as we read this psalm, is broken. There is no joy. There are no excuses. There is no, God, I'm sorry, but. Or, God, I tried, but. There's a plea that my sin is ever before me, and I need you to remove it. David teaches us some things about what confession really is. And I think the first thing is true confession begins with an honest evaluation of ourselves. You see, oftentimes we label ourselves or others. And in in placing that label on ourselves or on other people, I think we miss the point of what David is doing here in Psalm 51. We want to say, I'm a sinner. Or I'm a saint in church world, right? That's the way we classify people. You're either the good guy or you're the bad guy, right? We do this heroes and villains in our movies. We do this with people. How many of you have been in conversation with someone and heard them say or said yourself, oh, they're good people? As opposed to, oh, they're bad people, right? We don't ever actually say the other. We just imply it. We imply it especially when we talk to our kids about their friends. Well, maybe you shouldn't hang out with Blank, because mm, their family's not that good. Uh, Do we say that? Like, I think we think it, and we figure out ways to spin it so we don't say it. What that misses is that people who appear good on the outside can be a hot mess under the surface. And maybe people who are a hot mess on the outside can be really good under the surface. And that's because I think the difference in that is honesty. I can know I'm a saint 
who sins, who messes up, who disappoints God and those I love, but God still loves me? And be honest about it? I can think I'm a hot mess and not be honest about it and never grow. But look at Psalm 51.6. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You delight in truth. When was the last time we were honest with God about what's going on in our heart? One of my favorite authors and pastor, Sky Jathani, said, God doesn't care if we are sinful or righteous. He cares if we're honest. He cares if we can come and say, God, I broke your law. I disobeyed. I mean, we teach this to our kids all the time, right? You'll get in a lot less trouble if you'll just be honest with me than if I catch you in a lie about it, right? doesn't matter what we do. Anybody else tell that to your kids? Just my, just my poor children have to hear that. All right. Why? Why does honesty matter? Because God doesn't require us to be perfect. This is not an issue of morality. It's not like God is the cosmic morality police just sitting in heaven waiting for us to mess up. He wants us to be honest because it's to our benefit. Psalm, or Proverb 28.13 says, People who conceal their sin will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Church, if we continue to hide, to conceal, to deny, or outright lie, about the sin to the God who loves us, we will never experience his mercy. But it's when we come honest and say, God, this is who I am and this is what I need and I'm sorry. See, the goal of our confession is not right moral standing. It's forgiveness. It's experiencing God's love. And the second thing David understands is that it's not just about being honest, but it depends solely on God's grace and mercy. David is completely at God's mercy in this moment because God's law is clear. If you commit adultery, you deserve death. Leviticus 28.10 says, If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. And David doubled down on that breaking of God's law by committing murder because Leviticus 24, 17 says anyone who takes another person's life must be put to death. There's no hope for David apart from God's mercy. He's king. He probably has more animals than anybody else who he could offer in sacrifice to God as the Old Testament system required. But there's not one that will pay the price for what he's done. He is without hope. It doesn't matter how many, and David knows it. He cries out to God for his mercy and his grace. He says to wash him clean with hyssop. And we're like, what's hyssop? 
It was an old test. It was a plant that grows in the Middle East. It's kind of bushy. It's got lots of different branches that spring off of it. And in Egypt, when the Israelites were enslaved and they sacrificed the lamb for the Passover meal, they dipped a hyssop branch into the blood of the lamb and they used it to wipe the blood across the doorposts. And God had mercy and went over that and spared the kids of that home. And it was a direct image of the mercy and grace that God would send to each of us in his son Jesus on the cross. It would be the blood of Jesus wiped over us as we believe, as we profess and say, Jesus, I believe who you are, who you say you are. That would cause us to experience God's grace and forgiveness and mercy that we can't earn. but he gives it freely. David doesn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But God says, I love you. And I want you to know if you're here today and you've never experienced that love, you've never begun, you've never said, hey, you know what? I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I want to invite you to do that today before you leave this place. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what past you walked in here with or what you think or the shame or guilt that you feel. Jesus loves you. Jesus died to show you that love. And Jesus came out of the grave so that you could live forgiven and free and experience life. Confession starts with being honest about who we are. It understands it's only God who provides mercy and forgiveness. And true confession desires humble dependence. Psalm 51, 10 through 12 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. David wants God's presence. He wants to feel it. He wants to experience it. He doesn't want God to leave him. God, I want joy in my relationship with you. I want forgiveness in my relationship with you. He understands there's no money, there's no good deeds, there's nothing he can do. He even says, God, you don't want those things. You want a broken and contrite heart. But look at the verbs in Psalm 51. God washes, God cleans, God purifies, God does all the work. And all David wants is that relationship. What about you and me when we confess? Are we desiring the relationship that, with God or are we just desiring for the consequences to go away? God, I'm confessing so that hopefully I don't have to face the consequence of like yelling at my child and then having to go back and apologize to an eight-year-old. So God, can you forgive me? 
Or God, I don't want to have to walk into that work meeting and humble myself and say, I'm sorry. Can you just forgive me? David wants joy in his relationship with God above all else. And David doesn't get out of the consequences. David still loses a child. And maybe the last thing David teaches us in this psalm is that when we do this, it results in others experiencing God's love. Psalm 51, 13. Then I will teach transgressors, other people like me who break your law, who do the wrong things, and sinners will return to you. David says, God, restore to me the joy. Keep your Holy Spirit with me, and I'll go tell my story so that other people can understand how much grace and forgiveness and mercy you have, what joy they can have before you when they come and confess their sins. Most scholars believe David wrote Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 in response to his experience with Bathsheba. If you're someone who likes homework, here it is for you. If you don't like homework, there's no grade on this, so it won't get collected until next week. You're good to go. Go read Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 this week and look at the difference. And we give you a few hints. Psalm 51 is incredibly personal. It's filled with emotion. Psalm 32 seems to be more instructive. It seems like time has passed. Some of the emotion is gone. David has experienced some and he is instructing the Israelites in what will happen if they confess their sin to to God who is loving and faithful. David's words continue and they're quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Did you catch those words of Paul? Who are declared righteous without working for it. Church, that's us. It's confession that leads to the celebration we got to have with five people who got baptized today. But it's confession every day in your life and mine that allows us to experience joy and intimacy in our relationship with a God who loves us eternally and without condition. And that story is not just for us. It was never intended to be for us. From Genesis, the goal is when you experience good from me, you tell others about me. Who do you know, church, who needs to hear your story of God's grace, of God's mercy? of God's forgiveness in your life that led to deeper levels of intimacy and joy with him. Could that story be exactly what changes their eternity as they realize, if God forgave me, he can forgive you.
And maybe the most amazing part of David's story is the conclusion. Because we would look at David and say, oh, you're an adulterer. You're a murderer. If you know any more of his story, you know he's a pretty awful father too. So we could lump that in there and maybe read that first verse and say, well, at the kings, times that kings go off to war, David stayed home, so he's lazy. And we begin to throw all the labels that we want on David. God labels David this way in Acts 13, 22. <clears throat> a man about whom God said, this is Paul speaking, teaching about David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. God didn't put any of those labels on David. God looked at David and said, you are a man after my own heart. Confession builds intimacy and joy in our relationship with God. As we close this morning, I want to give you some time to do just that. To take a look inside. There's stuff inside our lives that we need to confess. That we need to talk to God about. So there's going to be some music that plays in just a moment. And I want you to take that time. If you're like, oh, 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 no, I, don't, I don't know about this, Jason. You can sit quiet. But if you're ready to make that move, or if you are someone who's like, no, I know I've got some stuff and I need some help, we have prayer workers on the side of the room. There's no judgment. We just want to pray for you. And so I'm going to invite you in just a minute to pray. And if you're here today and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, never said, hey, I want to follow at the end of this time, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer silently where you are to invite Jesus in and to be Lord and Savior of your life. Let's pray. If you're in the room this morning or watching online and 
you've never said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. It's real simple. There's nothing magic about these words. They're simply our words of confession to a God who loves us. So repeat these silently where you are if, if today you want to take that first step. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my pride or the sins that I've committed that break your heart. God, thank you for Jesus who did what you wanted me to do perfectly. I believe he is my only hope. Today, Father, I turn from my sin and I follow you. Lead me and guide me so that I can learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Thank you. If you prayed that prayer, I'd encourage you to stop and talk to somebody on the way out this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for hard truth in your word that shows us what it means to follow you. Thank you for being a God who is abundant in mercy, unfailing in love. God, I pray that you give us the courage to look inside of ourselves today and to confess God, thank you for your forgiveness. Today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of our lives. I pray that you use our stories to draw more people to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.